how to build power plants to have smart cameras already installed, which are connected to artificial intelligence for leakage detection like RxSet. So there's a lot of work ongoing to make sure every plant that is built in the future has maximum capabilities for autonomous operation and an optimized stuffing at site. You are listening to the Siemens Energy Podcast Series. The energy sector is undergoing an unprecedented transformation, presenting both challenges and opportunities. The demand for energy is increasing worldwide. And at the same time, we must combat the effects of climate change and reduce CO2 emissions. On each episode, we bring you conversations with some of the world's cutting-edge thought leaders in energy and related subjects. Our goal is to help you understand energy, the challenges we face today, and what the future holds. Subscribe and be sure to check out our website for more resources. Now, here's your moderator, Amy Pemple. Today, we welcome Eric Ott, Portfolio Manager, Autonomous Operations at Siemens Energy, and Stefan Schaub, Head of Operations and Maintenance, Asset Management at Siemens Energy. I'll be talking with them today about the journey to autonomous power plants. Hello, Eric, I'm going to start with you. Let's talk about the difference between remotely operated and autonomous power plants. Well, yeah, thanks, Amy. Remotely operated is where we're at at the moment. There are already customers out, out of the world who are remotely operating their power plants, and there are, the demand is rising a lot. So remotely operated is really what is driving our customers at the moment. And the remotely operated means that the customer has their operational personnel in a central control room doing the daily operation from remote. When we're talking about journey towards autonomous, autonomously operated, really means that there are workflows that are fully automated. To give you a good example, maybe if, if there is a, let's say, a drone or a robot, a camera in a power plant recording a spillage, then that issue gets recognized by a machine and uh, this recognition gets sent to, to, to a workflow and automatically a work order might be created for the next shift when somebody is on site. And the whole thing is just done automatically instead of getting approved by a worker. So this is really re remotely operated means we have a crew in the control room doing the operation, but it's off-site, whilst autonomously operated means that there are, there are computer programs who can do uh, workflows all by themselves. And maybe from my side to add one example, yeah, to say autonomous operation, yeah, th certain things today an operator does manually, like from the combined side of the world, before you put steam on a steam turbine, there are certain checks to be done on your chemistry sampling, for example. This is stuff that in with current technology can be easily automated. Yeah, or the connection of a power plant from the production point of view to a grid from the point of view of active load set point, power factor. Uh, so all these things which today an operator, wherever this operator is sitting at site remotely is still doing. Yeah? Here, the development of technology goes in the direction that this can be all automated. Let me move over to Stefan for a minute, and I'd love for you to chime in on this as well. It makes sense that power plant owners and operators would embrace the idea of autonomous operations for a number of reasons. Can you elaborate on those? Yeah, of course, there are a number of reasons, of course. Um, one is that uh, in the developed countries, we are seeing a trend of a retiring experience workforce. So for, for developed countries that can be up to 30% until 2030 from some of the utilities, we are even hearing higher numbers. On the other side, 
utilities also feel that young people are not so keen on going into 24-7 shift work in power plant or related industries. So in some areas, it is just a necessity to consolidate and optimize your workforce. Yeah. Of course, uh, there are remote areas. There are also various projects ongoing in remote areas, especially also, interestingly, uh, renewables, yeah, wind available in certain areas where you do not have people. Yeah. So from the availability of people, there are reasons which might force you to optimize with a remote operation and an autonomous operation concept. The other side, of course, is when you talk about autonomous from what I mentioned before, automatic, automatically being dispatched. Yeah, we know that the energy markets are becoming much more dynamic. Uh, we used to be in 30-minute uh, dispatching slots, five minutes, one minute. So this becomes all faster and uh, more automated. I think a person will have limitations how this is being dispatched. Of course, certain areas from the health and safety point of view, uh, if a person doesn't need to be there, this is also a certain benefit. Yeah. Uh, corona has taught us that access to certain areas, quarantines pose certain issues. Yeah. And we all know Corona is not yet over. So uh, being able to not have to have a team at site all the time gives certain continuity planning benefits for a power plant operator. Also, one point that we are hearing from customers is really the reason for them to go autonomously, wherever they are in the world, is to keep producing whenever the production is needed. So whatever happens, be it, be it um, let's say, sickness in the staff with COVID or crisis in the countries, but if they have the technology maturity to operate and to operate um, independently of a staff location, they can produce uh, at that point of time where the production is needed. And with the, let's say, with the growing percentage of, let's say, other sources of electricity in the grid, they need to be spot on whenever they have to produce. And this is how technology, how, let's say, unmanned operation can help them. When they're needed, doesn't matter the circumstances, they can go on to the grid and produce electricity. This sounds fascinating to me. What are some of the game-changing digital technologies that are making this vision a reality? There is, of course, like lots of things, technology. It is, let's say, the combination of technology that is here and usable at the moment. So it's definitely, of course, artificial intelligence. So machine learning is something that is now, let's say, beyond the hype scope and something we can just adopt. We can use it. And it's not, it's not only a feasibility study. We can actually train a system to detect patterns, to detect uh, leakages, or we can train a, uh, a system to, to reduce alarm load. So it's really, we can use the technology like artificial intelligence, like machine learning as tools to make this a reality. And the other side, of course, there is, let's say, the automation of workflows. So we can now um, automate full workflows from, from when something's happening on site to the control room and back within one system. And we can use this automation to, to, well, to address the, let's say, the complexity of the work and reduce complexity or, or at least um, build the complexity into the computer system and not uh, needing humans for that anymore. And one other um, interesting scope on the technology side is, of course, the technology that is available on site whenever a worker is there. So we can, 
everybody's connected now. So the, the people who then need to be there, they have the information they need, even though they are no longer 24-7 on the site. So they can use their smartphone, their tablet, they can use maybe augmented reality to get a full picture uh, when they have to work there, um, even though they're maybe normally not on site anymore. So, Stefan, let me ask you this. We've touched on this earlier in the conversation, but where are we as an industry in this journey? And what are some of the pilot projects that you're working on right now? We have mentioned before that we have a Lipheim project where a picker plant, which will be completely remotely operated. We have tested uh, the technology that Arik has been mentioning, uh, connected worker technology. That means at site is only somebody with a partial knowledge of a system being remotely supported by an expert. We are testing more and more in, in various power plants, remote services. From the troubleshooting point of view, we are connecting more and more critical systems, which previously you had to be at site to troubleshoot. So more and more critical systems are remotely connected uh, in many plants. Eric didn't mention that, but uh, a very fast, reliable and secure internet connection via VPN client also is extremely important. Yeah, Not every site had this in the past, so we are pushing this. Data availability is being pushed. We are using the first pilots for augmented reality, also for supporting people at site. And one very important area when you talk about new plants, hybrid plants, that there's very intensive work ongoing with Siemens Energy new unit uh, group, how to build power plants to have smart cameras already installed, which are connected to uh, artificial intelligence for leakage detection, like Arik said. Yeah. So there's a lot of work ongoing to make sure every plant that is built in the future has maximum capabilities for autonomous operation and an optimized stuffing at site. That's a good point. And I think because your, your original question was, where are we in the journey? And I think that is a very good point from Stefan. The different layers we have. So on the base layer, there is the physical assets. So this is what we are doing there. It's really working with our colleagues from new unit, working with our engineering departments and finding out what can you do on those assets to keep them operating for longer periods of time? Really, um, how much more safety do you need? How much more measurement? How much more sensors? So what do you need on the particular asset like a gas turbine? Then in addition to that, or on top of that, is the automation system. And this is so in our case, of course, uh, Siemens uh, T3000, uh, but there is also competitors using automation. And what we are doing on that regard is also, of course, the collection of sensors, a collection of information. But also the thing to solve here is to operate, to use the um, distributed control, the DCS system, to operate from a central control room. So either with there are various technologies to achieve that. I think the most the, the technology commonly used is the SCADA. Um, technology where you can use the, a, let's say, an overlay system to control multiple units from one central control room. And on top of that, on top of the, so the foundation being the physical assets, then the control um, being, let's say, where, where the orchestration, where the actual work is happening. And on top of that sits the digital layer where that makes it possible, really, because this is the missing piece that we now, that we are now developing, that we now have. the 
this is the central control room, the physical assets, everything is in place somehow. And now with the digital layer, we can use technology to, to have the last bit that is needed for remote operation. And beyond that work the, to build the foundation for also autonomous operations. Stefan, where do you see the impact this will have on the workforce and what type of impact do you think it will have? Yeah, very good question. Um, one point we mentioned already uh, that we will be forced to look into this topic because of a retiring workforce. But what we also see for the plants that are engaging on this journey, the people operating such a plant, be it remotely or the team that still remains at site. Yeah, I have to say you will always have a team at site for doing maintenance. So here, we will need a retraining from the point of view that these people will be substantially wider trained. Yeah, that means in the past you had really somebody for every system. Yeah, uh, in the future you will have people who have a much wider training. Yeah, and they will be mechatronic people, like we call them in German. So they have a mechanical training, but they also have an electrical INC training. This might be people who, in the worst case, can also operate the plant. So this will be people who are trained understanding analytics much better. So they can talk to the uh, reliability engineer much better. So we believe the, the, the people being at site have to be trained substantially more yeah, and in a wider way. One job that is currently done on site is this job of um, inspection walkdown. So every shift, somebody leaves the control room and does his rounds throughout the plants, reading numbers, checking for leakages, checking for problems, checking for errors. And that job, even though that is had its, it, has, it has its upsides, so people are also, let's say, stay in touch with the facility, but also... It's not that it's uh, really the best job ever. So people are not keen on keeping that necessarily. And also the data quality of doing these rounds varies a lot. There are operators who do this um, quite on uh, on point and very detailed and collect very good information. And then there are, there are others that maybe uh, don't take their time or run through it to the very basics. And now you can't really compare. You can't really compare what one shift recognized versus what the other shift recognized. And if you would replace these jobs with machines, the people don't have to leave anymore so they can stay in the control room. Thus, the control room can move wherever they want. For them, it can be even a good thing. They don't have to be on site anymore. And on the other hand, for the, let's say, for the production, it's better because the data quality is uh, similar. It's, the, the, system, the machine can collect, let's say, every hour or every 10 minutes instead of just once per shift. And the quality is always the same once the system is trained. So this would have an upside, a potential upside, at least for the operator, as well as that's for the whole plant in production. Stefan, I'd love to hear your opinion on this as well. What are the obstacles or challenges that still lie ahead on this journey to autonomous power? We talked about COVID, but I imagine there are some other challenges ahead and price competition, that sort of thing. Can you elaborate on that? One of the obstacles is that when we bring in technology that can actually read a local gauge, look for leakages, that operators have the feeling, wow, I'm going to lose my job. Yeah, the fact that so many people will retire in the next eight, nine years yeah, is not really on the people's minds, but operators currently are afraid to lose their jobs on the other side. Yeah, all this stuff, yeah, all these readings, what Eric mentioned before, uh, 
you need to still you need to have people who are analyzing this stuff this is really a shortage at the moment we do not have enough data engineers we do not have enough uh, reliability engineers who really say what am i doing with this data yes we have artificial intelligence yeah no doubt about this but our experience currently is you still need a lot of what we call domain know-how yeah so what i think one of the challenges is how do we bring people from the old world where they walk around and collect readings to the new world where the data are already there and collected and you correlate data yeah and really bring the knowledge of a power plant in yeah, and, and, and make valuable decisions uh, to run this plant better. Mm, I, I fully agree. Uh, and and I'm, I can't add anything to that. That's perfectly on point. One thing I can say is one, one other obstacle that, that I hear in, in the discussions is the fear of doing things for the first time because it is a lot of knowledge adoption, a lot of change management that is needed. And then there is okay, what happens if we now really don't have anybody on site? What happens if there is an incident? What happens if there is something we can't uh, see? So the what ifs, the all the things that can happen is are obstacles and rightly so. So we need to think through them and we need to solve this step by step. So the approach that most customers seem to take is this won't be a big bang but rather let's we need to move into that journey and we need to start the journey now but most of our customers don't plan on removing the workforce um, i don't know within the next foreseeable uh, month or even years they would rather say okay let's work towards reducing the shift work on the weekends or let's let's see if we can reduce the night shift and only have people on they're doing day shift. So it's really incremental changes towards remote and autonomous operation that most customers are interested in. Not all, some are, more, uh, are bolder, but most of them will take rather small steps. So Stefan, what would you say to a customer who might be hesitating? Our statement is always, we think that the industry is moving. Uh, and our recommendation is start doing the small steps now. If I just bring you an example, yeah, you have in a combined cycle world, again, you have an auxiliary boiler, which in the past always people walk down and manually start. There was never a need not to connect it to your central control room. So you might have a situation where your PLC is obsolete. You anyway have to do something. So go this step, connect it. Yeah? You have some sort of, you have a logic, which the operator always has been doing manually. It's not a big thing, automate it, get ready for it. Yeah, we, we believe this will be coming and also back to what Eric just said, yeah, uh, combined cycle power plants, for example, they will be operating less regularly. They will have times where they're not being dispatched. So if you have a system in place where you can balance between your different sites and, and, and benefit from a central control room, start this journey now. Yeah. Don't wait until markets change further and then you're forced to do something in a short time. On top of that, um, I understand everybody who's hesitant, but everybody needs to start at the point where they at that time. So we have customers who are very advanced already. They are thinking already on completely demanding sites. So for them, it's really the discussion is, okay, shall we adopt this IT system or this, um, let's say, artificial intelligence system or that? Do we buy a drone? Do we buy a robot? So we're talking very much into the solution already. And then we have customers who maybe haven't started already or uh, uh, operate mostly with people on site. And that is a different discussion. So for me, it would be, so the first thing to find out 
is this customer? So where is he on the journey? Is he just beginning or is he already quite uh, advanced? And wherever then the, let's say the, the problems lie, wherever the challenges lie, we need to address them, but we address them together because this is it's a complex undergoing and it's a quite, the transition is huge. So it's really a, a partnership between Siemens Energy and the customers uh, on that journey towards autonomous that, that we strive for and not so much we can just sell you a package and there it is and now you're running remotely so it's really let's find out where you're at and let's solve this issue one at a time one of the things happened in industries so whenever there was a, a substantial innovation yeah this always was initially against the industry standards and industry trends and this is the same with this new technology before we wrap up, I'd like to ask both of you a question that I, I ask most of our guests, and then I'd like your final thoughts as well. What is one viewpoint or opinion you have regarding the energy transition that others would disagree with or might disagree with? And Stefan, I'll start with you. What we just discussed, yeah, is this technology of autonomous operation and autonomous plant really required or not? That is definitely one very typical point some people would disagree with. For me personally, I think we need to be fast and decisive on the way to decarbonization. And now we have this chance now. This is the moment where so much can happen. And if we think about now autonomous operation, what I do believe is that for power generation customers all over the world, that has the advantage of bringing the different generational assets together. If you think about a hybrid fleet of wind parks, of hydrolyzers, of combined cycle power plants, and then this technology to be able to operate such a diverse fleet centrally, I do think this can make a difference on that way to decarbonization. But I also have a lot of discussions about that. And as Stefan mentions, the whole topic of autonomous operation in itself is something that is definitely worthy of lots of discussions, even though I do believe it's absolutely needed. So final thoughts. Uh, what is the one thing you'd like our listeners to take away from this conversation today as it relates to autonomous power plants and remotely operated power plants? Stefan? Take this as a North Star. Look at your puzzle pieces required for this. Utilize things which you anyway have to do. Yeah, like I give another example, asset health management, asset health diagnostics. This is a very important component in letting a plant be operated unmanned. Engage on this, start on the journey, and don't wait until the market uh, overalls you. <laughs> I agree. That definitely, it's a journey, and this journey has to start now, wherever you are at the moment. And the other maybe quite important or interesting point for me uh, that I figured out while working on this for the last two years now is the technology is more or less ready. So it's there. It is not technology development we're doing. This is the, the technology is there. The, the question is how to implement that, what to implement. There is a lot of discussions there, but don't be afraid on the technology maturity. That is already established. Now the question is which technology. How are the how is the journey going? Where do we start? And what is the north star? Stefan mentioned, but don't be afraid on technology development. We already have that in place. Don't hesitate. Move forward and move quickly. I think is the message I'm hearing from both of you. Exactly. Wonderful. Thank you, gentlemen, for your time today. We appreciate it very much. Thank you, Amy. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening. We hope you found this episode valuable. If you enjoyed the show please leave us a five-star review. 
You can find more information and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at Siemens-Energy.com forward slash podcast. Siemens Energy is providing this podcast as a public service. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by Siemens Energy. The views expressed by guests and hosts are their own, and their appearances on this program do not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by Siemens Energy employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the views of Siemens Energy or any of its officials.